How many of you were hypocrites this last week? <clears throat> For those of you that weren't here last week, our message last week was don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> so today we're still in the same passage, but it's going to be a little different. Uh, we are still under that theme. Jesus was telling us not to be hypocrites, but we're Christians, right? And we're followers of Jesus, and we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray all the time. Let me ask you a personal question. How's your prayer life? Just reflect for a moment, and it's not on a scale of 1 to 10, but I will give you this comparison Is your prayer life a little parched, a little dry, just like you're in the desert? Or is your prayer life more like a mountain stream that is alive, it's bubbling, and you can hear it, you can feel it. It's just giving water to everything that surrounds it, and there's just a vibrancy about it. I don't know. That's a question about how is your prayer life. We are in Matthew. I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to turn there. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let me get there myself. And as I'm turning, let me remind you that Jesus started off last week saying, don't be a hypocrite. We kind of spent some time. And then he said, there's three religious duties most people do. Uh, Religious people are to give and religious people are to pray, and religious people are to fast. And he used those as examples not to be hypocritical in your giving. And now he's going to talk about prayer. But before we actually go over the Lord's Prayer, we're only going to go over a few verses to take us. We have to prepare our hearts to pray. Because giving is a hard issue. Praying is a hard issue. Even fasting is a hard issue. As a Christian, everything in your life should have some connection back to your heart because life is a heart issue. Uh, Tammy and I, we just returned from Missouri, and you know, you you put that body in the grave, and the body goes back to the ground because that's for where it came from. But you know where the spirit goes? Spirit didn't doesn't come from the ground. It comes from God, and and Lois's spirit went back there. And so everything about us, really, the, the eternal is, is the spiritual, which means it's always a hard issue. And so we're going to look about getting ready to pray. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up at verse 5. It says, when you pray, not if, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues or at church. And at the street corners, can you imagine people praying at the street corners in today's society? I I can't imagine it. But they did then to show how pious they were, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, they've received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, what? Reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then, of course, he goes on and he's going to tell us uh, the model prayer for, for how to pray. And we're going to look at that next week. 
But there are, there are three main things that jump out at the text, and once we look at them, I, I think you'll be able to see them too. Here's the very first fill in the blank. It's a contrast against the word hypocrite, and that is prayer needs to be real and genuine. It's not a show. It's not a performance. There's no impressive words, no flowery speech. Have you, this probably doesn't happen out here, but in the Midwest... People that pray in public will get what we call the preacher's voice. Father God, in heaven we pray. And, and they get this preacher's voice. Do you think that you have to go to God in a preacher's voice? No. You do not have to have a preacher's voice. In fact, you don't want a preacher's voice. You want to be real and authentic. Now, if you really talk like that, go right ahead and talk to God like that. Could you imagine using King James speech, ordering at McDonald's, making it flowery to impress the workers behind the counter? I greet you, O humble servant that pushes buttons at the register. I acknowledge your existence. My thirst needeth to be slaked with a Coca-Cola. Large, please. I deem that that large container, as advertised in the window, will only be a dollar. My appetite longs to be satisfied with a Big Mac, and I request golden fries to accompany my order, along with two apple pies baked to perfection that will be my dessert. Now, do you order at McDonald's like that? What do you say? Uh, give me a number one. Right? And, and you've communicated that, and they know what to do, and they do it, and you pay, and you get your Big Mac, you get your fries, and you get your Coca-Cola that's a large. The goal of prayer is not to impress God. The goal of prayer is to be real and genuine when you talk to God. Notice the bulletin. Look at the front cover. Is that not funny? Now, how many of us think, oh, I shouldn't feel that way? I love mankind, but I can't stand people, right? Could you go tell God that? Could you be honest and genuine and say, God, I know I love people, but right now there's some people at work I can't stand. Is that a legitimate way to be real and genuine and authentic to God? And you all said, absolutely. Does God already know, according to the text, that you know that he knows what you already are feeling? Yeah, so you're not taking him by surprise. He wants you to be real and authentic and pray with your words, your way. Prayer, heartfelt prayer, heart moved by prayer is not a show. Prayer is not a performance, is it? And real and genuine prayer is not made up of vain, repeating phrases that you parrot out, repeating them endlessly because you think that it has value. Let me read a, a quote from Mark Waiter, or Water, I guess is the correct way. And you can write this down if you want. It's not going to be a slide, but it says, Prayer is practicing the presence of God, not mastering the mechanics of how to come to God. Let me say that again. Prayer is practicing the presence of God, not mastering the mechanics 
of how to come to God or how to talk to God. We are to be persistent in our prayer life and we can ask and repeat ourselves. Don't get me wrong, we can repeat ourselves. But back in the text it says this, do not heap up empty phrases. The only thing that makes an empty phrase empty is if your heart's not in it. So you could actually be saying the right things, but if your heart's not in it, then it's empty, isn't it? And so regardless of the words you use, make sure that it's real and genuine and it is heartfelt. Then it's going to be real instead of rote memorizing. There are some people, and maybe you've met them, they've memorized a passage of Scripture and uh, they, they just throw it out there every single time they pray and it's like they're not even thinking because they're saying it so fast because they're accustomed to saying it. And that's not supposed to be the way we pray. See, prayer is vertically focused. Do you realize that? Prayer is vertically focused. You're talking to God. Now, how many of you know the song, uh, How Great Thou Art? Raise your hand if you know that song. Do you know as you sing that, you are actually singing to God. You're not singing to one another. You are telling God how great you are. How great you are, God. But... The other song that we love to sing, Amazing Grace, is about God. We're not singing it to Him. We're telling everybody that we know, God's grace is amazing. It's amazing grace. But when we sing vertically, we're singing to God. That's what prayer is. We're talking to God, not about Him. It's not a third person in the corner. He is the one that we're talking to. It's supposed to be vertically focused. I know this has never happened to you where you've been in a prayer circle and somebody starts preaching through their prayer to someone in the prayer circle. That has happened before. That's not acceptable either. Prayer is to be real and genuine, speaking directly with, to God and with respect, but not out of trying to impress Him. Henry Blackaby, he wrote a, a book, Experiencing the Presence of God, said it this way, Genuine prayer does not lead to an encounter with God. Catch this. But prayer is the encounter with God. Did you catch that? So prayer is the encounter. Prayer isn't the thing that's going to lead you to His presence. Prayer, talking with God, is the thing that ushers in His presence. John Bunyan, he he wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and he was jailed for preaching the gospel. I don't know if you knew that. So there was a time in the English uh, history where if you were preaching the gospel and you weren't officially ordained by the government, you were thrown in jail. And he was thrown in jail and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And it's a fictional story about a, a man who comes to Jesus and then walks out the rest of his life and he has all these various experiences. But there's a quote in that book that I want to share. Because uh, it's, it's just like right on the money. It says this, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. In other words, sometimes you don't even know what to say to God because there's so much stuff going on in your heart. And you're just like, ah! But at least it's heartfelt and you know the Spirit intercedes for us. And He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're trying to say. He knows our deepest secrets. He knows our deepest desires. And He is hearing us. But if our heart's not in it, then maybe 
we shouldn't say anything because words without heart are nothing. Second point that comes out of the text is that helps us to get ready to pray is prayer is in the context of a relationship. Heather, can you throw the next slide up there? It is in the context of a relationship. Go back to the text for a second. And he says this in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your, here's the word that gives us all the insight. It's the word Father. It's the word Father. Father implies a special relationship. He's your provider. He's your protector. There's also an implication that God is good. That He is a good. So when we talk with God, when we talk to God, we should always approach Him from that perspective and understanding that God is good and perfect and a righteous Father. And we are His children. We don't have to be afraid of Him. Even when we don't understand what's going on in our life, it's okay, catch this, this is big, it's okay to question our circumstances. It is not okay to question His goodness. That has already been answered for us. That was answered by Abraham and God. In fact, have your Bibles turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 for just a moment. Let me set up the context because we're not going to have time to read the whole passage. But it answers this question. Let me set up the scenario. Sodom and Gomorrah has been going wild in their sexual perversion. God visits Abraham, and he has two angels with him. And he says almost to himself, Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to go do to Sodom and Gomorrah, that I'm about to go wipe them off the face of the earth? And he says to himself, Yeah, I'm going to tell Abraham. Abraham, I'm going down there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, uh, he's thinking to himself. He's thinking to himself, he goes, well, my nephew lives there. My nephew's wife lives there. My nieces live there. I know it's a terrible city. I know it's very wicked. I know it's very vile. But I need to do something to prevent God from wiping out Sodom and Gomorrah. So he goes, and and that's the approach most people look at this text. But he goes and he says, God, would you wipe out all those people, thousands and thousands of people, if there were 50 righteous in the land? God says, no, I wouldn't wipe out an entire city if there were 50 righteous people in it. So Abraham gets his nerve up and he says, "Uh, how about if there's just five less than 50? How about there's only 45? Would you then wipe them out? If you're just missing five, over five, would you wipe them out? And God says, no. And so now he's down to to 45, and then he says, "Uh, I I don't want you to be mad at me, God. He's praying. It's talking to God. He's, how about if there's only 40 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you going to wipe out the entire city for, for just 10 less than your 50? 
And God says, no. Well, he keeps this on up until he gets them down to ten. And Abraham says, would you wipe out an entire city if there were only ten righteous people? And God says, no. I would not wipe out an entire city, the city of Las Cruces, if there was just ten righteous people. Now, what does that answer? It answers the question, is this a good God? Is this a God who is fair and righteous and loving? If he would save an entire city of thousands of people because there were only ten. And you know that he even goes down and rescues the few that were righteous, Lot and his kids and his wife. But the key verse is found in verse 23. Go back if, you're, if you are in Genesis. Look at verse 23. I'll read it. It says this. Then Abraham drew near and indeed will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And it answers the question, what kind of God are you? Did you notice Abraham didn't say it this way? Save Sodom and Gomorrah if it's your will. Have you ever said something like that? You, you didn't really talk to God. You just kind of threw it out there. I don't know what you want to do. Just, but no, he's engaged. He's questioning God's character is what Abraham is doing. And he gets his answer. He gets his answer. God is good. Now, it's not easy to talk like Job when you're not Job. And it's not easy to talk like Abraham when you're not Abraham. But we all have serious, uh, serious circumstances. Maybe it's about your marriage. When you're married and you're asking God about the circumstances of your marriage, but we don't question his goodness like Abraham did. We've answered that question. We've settled that question. God is good. God is righteous. And God isn't going to do anything that isn't righteous. So we don't say, Lord, save my children if it's your will. Lord, save my job if it's your will. Save my spouse from this disease if it's your will. We can get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more and say, God, why does my wife have this illness? Why did this happen? It's okay because God will come and comfort you and give you direction because he's not mean and nasty waiting to hit you with a lightning bolt. He wants you to understand his plan so that you can get on board. So that you can say, okay, I, I, I don't understand. And I might never understand why bad things happen to good people. Are you with me? Do we ever understand fully why bad things happen to good people, to righteous people? But we've settled the question, Abraham, settled the question, God is good. Now I have to talk to him just about my circumstances. I don't, I, I promise you there will be circumstances in your life that are happening right now or will be happening or have happened, that it's okay to wrestle with God and ask questions. But the question of His goodness has been answered. So when we pray, we pray from that context of that relationship that God is a good and loving Father. And we can ask this. God... Help me to understand. Help me to understand why this is happening. Help me to have your wisdom, your insight. 
Help me to be shaped by my circumstances so that it can reflect a little bit of you to the world. Another main idea about getting ready to pray is our third fill-in-the-blank. Prayer involves our public, our personal, and our private world. First, let's talk about the public because they were praying in public and God's, God's not against praying in public. It's just that you can't be doing it for the show because there's many examples of, of public prayer but public prayers aren't very personal by nature. But here's where you get to be involved in preparing your heart. You can be an active listener. When you're actively listening to someone pray, it's like you've got caught up in the journey. Just like it is Tammy and Jada up here that's leading us in worship. Whoops, that was close. But we are actively participating in worship as well. We may not know the words, but we're singing them. If we're not singing them, we're thinking them. We're understanding what the message is of the song. And so there's one person that might be leading us, but you can actively and you should actively participate in worship. When somebody is publicly praying, you should be actively listening. Because when you are, it's engaging your heart to be taken to a direction that you can say then amen to. You know what the word amen really means? Let me put it in layman's terms or common terms. It means I agree with what you're saying. So when you say amen, it's saying I put my will towards that. So if we say, you know, Lord, we're, we're praying about this, this building, whether we're going to try to get into it or not. We don't know. We need your wisdom. And we are going to rely only on you and somebody says, amen, they're saying amen to God, this is your, and we're relying on you. That's what that amen means. And so uh, it's, it's engaging all of our hearts publicly. The second world that you live in is your personal world. Personal world where it's a small group, it's more intimate, it may be your family, and you pray as a family. Some of us pray around the kitchen table. In fact, I think the kitchen table is the perfect place to pray because at the kitchen table, sometimes we share our deepest hurts, and sometimes we, we share meals there, we share our laughter there, we show our... We share our jokes there. We, we entertain one another at the kitchen table. What a perfect place to have God invited to your kitchen table. And it's a little more intimate. It's active listening, but maybe you get to participate in, in expressing what is in your heart to the Lord during that prayer time. This, this idea of amen, I, I can't tell you how strong it is. Because it, it really does mean I'm putting my will towards it. Now, I'm not trying to get you to say amen. I'm just wanting you to understand what the of amen does for you when you say it because you're uh, actively uh, agreeing to it with your will. I, I've shared this story, but it might have been in the context of Bible study. It might have been even the context of here. It was Phil. Phil's an alcoholic. And we're praying. And I said... Okay, I want to give you some advice. 
If you say amen at the end of our prayer, you are putting your will towards it. And you're going to ask God to do what was said in the prayer. In the prayer, And we're going to move towards that. And so we prayed, Lord, may Phil get violently ill the next time he takes a sip of alcohol. And Phil, I warned him, I said, if you say amen, God's going to do it. If you put your will towards it, it's going to happen. And he said, I'm ready to say amen. The following week, he catches me after church, and he says, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, try me. He said, I went sober for four days, and then I had a... I, I, I broke down, I wanted a beer, and I popped the top, I took one sip, and I became so wretchedly ill, I became violently ill that I was in bed for the next two days. And he looked amazed, like, how did this happen? And I said, because you put your will towards it. When you are praying, and you're asking God for something, for wisdom, for direction, to be a more loving person, to be a less critical in your spirit, to be more uh, of a generous person. And you are telling God that you are putting your will towards it, because that's how you end your prayer probably. Amen. Let it be. Let it be so. You are agreeing in the spiritual realm with a powerful partner named God. And then he expects you to move towards that will. Now, I'm, I don't. I, I was going to pick on somebody, but I'm not. I thought twice about that. Yeah. If you're asking the Lord for a new job, maybe you're in a job you don't like. You're asking the Lord for a new job. Lord, I want a new job. I hate my boss. I, whatever. Shouldn't probably tell God that, but this is what it is. But you do nothing. Have you really put your will towards it? If you say, Lord, I, I want to be more generous, but you keep your wallet closed towards your neighbor who is out of work and needs a bag of groceries on the stoop. If, if you're saying, Lord, help me find a new job, what do we do? We look for a new job. If we say we want to be less critical in our tongue, then what do we do? As Diane just gave me the motion, we zip our lips. So when we are praying, we are talking to God and we're talking to Him about all sorts of things, but our will has to be engaged. And that happens more at the personal level, but it really kicks off in the private level. Let me, let me read another quote. It's, it's by a guy named P.T. Forsythe. And he's asking a question. He says, can we pray in earnest if we do not in the act commit ourselves to do the very thing that we're asking for? Can we escape some kind of hypocrisy? If we say, Lord, I want to be blessed with a, uh, a house are, are we then thinking that somehow you're going to win lotto? Or are you willing to do what God has provided the path for you to maybe to get into a house? See, when we say amen, I agree and I'm putting my will towards it. 
Here's the last private world. Going into your prayer place. It's just you and God. Let me give you a suggestion to pray out loud. I have to pray out loud. Tammy sees me every once in a while talking to myself. How many of you talk to yourself? Why do we talk to ourselves? Because it keeps us on the track. If we're not praying out loud, rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. We, we chase all these rabbit trails because our mind is that way. But if we're talking to God like we're talking to our spouse or talking to a friend or talking to a neighbor or talking to someone on the phone, then it keeps us focused. So pray out loud. Pray out loud. That will help. Helps you focus. It engages more of you. And our private world is private. We're sharing with God our, our, our real thoughts and our, our real fears, our real concerns. But it can happen in the shower. It can happen on the way to work. It, when you see a sunrise or a sunset or see a guy that cuts you off, you can be talking to God all the time. It isn't this inflated, uh, ceremonial, uh, orthodox way. It's just talking to God, communing with Him. And we need all three, public, personal, but we need that very private prayer, don't we? Now, I'm going to, I need to close. Uh, I broke my watch, or my watch broke me, I'm not sure. Um, and so I'm not sure of the time, but I need to close with an intimate story of my own life. And at times, I think back, it was, it was a tough time in my life. My mom and dad had divorced. My dad had divorced my mom. My dad had coached Little League for my brothers, but I'm the baby. So by the time I had come along at that age, he wasn't there for me. He was disengaged by then. He, whether he was having affairs then or, or I don't know. But he didn't teach me to throw a ball. He didn't teach me how to catch a ball. He didn't show me how to shag a, a grounder. He didn't show me how to bat. He didn't, he didn't show me any of that stuff. He showed my brothers, but I was kind of the baby. I was the last one, and he was disengaged. So the very first spring after the divorce, my mom came to me, and she said, Robbie, I've signed you up for Little League. I think you should play Little League. I said, okay. I told her on one condition. You can never, ever come to any of my practices or come to any of my games. Her, her heart was broken. I didn't know I was breaking her heart. Why? Why did I make that stipulation? Because I was embarrassed that I didn't know how to play baseball. I was embarrassed that I wasn't going to play to her standards like my brothers did. I was ashamed that I was so old and I really couldn't handle myself on a ball field. And so I made that condition. And to her word, she never saw me throw a ball, catch a ball, or bat a ball. 
She was true to her word, and she never saw me play. Now it's years later. I realized how wrong I was. Because my mother wasn't concerned about how good I played. She wanted to see her boy. Do you realize that God wants to hear from you? He does not care how well you pray. He wants to be that audience that encourages you. My mom wanted to be there to encourage me. God wants you to come to Him honestly, genuinely, transparently, and share your heart to His heart. Not to question His goodness, but to question all the messes that are going on in your life. And He is there as your cheerleader, as your encourager, as your counselor. Let's get ready to pray. Next week we're going we're gonna to find out how easy it is. Let me pray.